Welcome to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today we bring you Danny's Own Story, Chapter 7. It is brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by the public domain, and by Whiskey. Martha wouldn't have took anything for being around Miss Hampton, she said. Miss Hampton was kind of quiet and sweet and pale looking, and nobody ever thought of talking loud or raising any fuss when she was around. She had enough money of her own to run herself on, and she kept to herself a good deal. She had come to that town from no one knowed where years ago and bought that place. For all of her being so gentle and easy and talking with one of them soft, drawly kind of voices, Martha says, no one had ever dared to ask her about herself, though there was a lot of women in town that was wishful to. But Martha said she knowed what Miss Hampton's secret was, and she hadn't told no one neither, which she told me, and all the promising I'd done about not telling would have made the cold chills run up your back, it was so solemn. Miss Hampton had been jilted years ago, Martha said, and the name of the jilter was David Armstrong. Well, he must have been a low-down sort of man. Martha said if things was only fixed in this country like they ought to be, she would have sent a knight to find that David Armstrong and that would have ended up in a mortal combat, and the knight would have cleaved him. Yes, says I, and then you would have married that there knight, I suppose. She says she would have. Well, says I, maybe you would have, and maybe you wouldn't have. If he cleaved David Armstrong, that knight would likely be arrested for it. Martha says if he was... She would wait outside his dungeon keep for years and years till she was an old woman with gray in her hair, and every day they would give lingering looks at each other through the window bars, and they would be happy that away, and she would get her a white dove and train it so it would fly up to that window and take in notes to him, and he would send notes back that away, and they would both be awful sad and romanceful and contented doing that away forever and ever. Well, I never took no stock in them mournful ways of being happy. I couldn't have riz up to being a knight for Martha. She expected too much of one. I thought it over for a little spell without saying anything, and I tried to make myself believe I would have liked all that dove business. But it wasn't no use pretending. I knowed I would get tired of it. Martha, I says, maybe these here knights is all right, and maybe they ain't. I ain't never seen one. I don't know. And mind you, I ain't saying a word again their way of acting. I can't say how I would have been myself if I had been brung up like them. But it looks to me, from some of the things you said about them, they must have a darn fool streak in them somewheres. I was kind of jealous of them knights, I guess or I wouldn't have run them down that away behind their backs. But the way she was always taken on over them was calculated to make me see I wasn't knee-high to a duck in Martha's mind when one of them knights popped into her head. When I run them down that away, she says, To the blind all things is blind, 
and if I had any chivalry into me myself, I'd have seen they wasn't just darn fools, but noble, and seen it easy. And she sighed, like she'd looked for better things from me. When I heard her do that, I felt sorry I hadn't come up to her expectances. So I says, Martha, it's no use pretending I could stay in one of them jails and keep happy at it. I got to be outdoors. But I tell you what I can do, if it will make you feel any better. If I ever happen to run across this here David Armstrong, and he is anywheres near my size, I'll lick him for you. And if he's too hefty for me to lick him fair, I says, and I to get a good chance, I will hit him with a piece of railroad iron for you. Of course, I knowed I would never find him, but what I said seemed to brighten her up a little. But, I says, if I went too fur with it and was hung for it, how would you feel then, Martha? Well, sir, that didn't jar Martha none. She looked kind of dreamy and said maybe she would go and join a convent and be a nun. And when she got to be the head nun, she would build a chapel over the tomb where I was buried in. And every year, or on the day of the month I was hung on, she would lead all the other nuns into that chapel, and the organ would play mournful, and each nun as passed would lay down a bunch of white roses onto my tomb. I reckon that ought to make me feel good, but somehow it didn't. So I changed the subject, and asked her why I ain't seen Miss Hampton around the place none. Martha says she has a bad sick headache and ain't been outside the house for four or five days. I asked her why she don't wait on her, but she don't want her to, Martha says. She's been staying in the house ever since we've been in town and just wants to be let alone. I thinks all that is kind of funny. And then I seen from the way Martha is answering my questions that she is holding back something she would like to tell but don't think she ought to tell. I leaves her alone, and pretty soon she says, Do you believe in ghosts? I tell her sometimes I think I don't believe in them, and sometimes I think I do. But anyhow, I would hate to see one. Uh, I asked her why does she ask. Because, she says, because, uh, but I had not to tell you. It's daylight, I says. It's no use being scared to tell now. It ain't that, she says, but it's a secret. When she said it was a secret, I knowed she would tell. Martha liked having her friends help her to keep a secret. I think Miss Hampton has seen one, she says finally, and that her staying indoors has something to do with that. Then she tells me. The night of the day after we camped there, her and Miss Hampton was out for a walk. We didn't have any show that night. They passed right by our camp, and they seen us there by the fire, all three of us. But they was in the road in the dark, and we was all in the light, so none of the three of us seen them. Miss Hampton was kind of scared of us first glance, for she gasped and grabbed hold of Martha's arm all of a sudden so tight she pinched it, which it was very natural that she would be startled coming across three strange men all of a sudden at night around a turn in the road. They went along home, 
and Martha went inside and lighted a lamp. But Miss Hampton lingered on the porch for a minute. Just as she lit the lamp, Martha heard another little gasp, or kind of sigh, from Miss Hampton out there on the porch. Then there was the sound of her falling down. Martha ran out with the lamp, and she was laying there. She had fainted and keeled over. Martha said just in the minute she had left her alone on the porch was when Miss Hampton must have seen the ghost. Martha brung her to, and she was looking puzzled and wild-like both to once. Martha asked her, what is the matter? Nothing, she says, rubbing her fingers over her forehead in a helpless kind of way. Nothing. You look like you had seen a ghost, Martha tells her. Miss Hampton looks at Martha awful funny, and then she says maybe she has seen a ghost, and goes along upstairs to bed. And since then, she ain't been out of the house. She tells Martha it is a sick headache, but Martha says she knows it ain't. She thinks she is scared of something. Scared, I says. She wouldn't see no more ghosts in the daytime. Martha says, how do I know she wouldn't? She knows a lot about ghosts of all kinds, Martha does. Horses and dogs can see them easier than humans, even in the daytime, and it makes their hair stand up when they do. But some humans that have the gift can see them in the daytime like an animal. And Martha asks me, how can I tell but Miss Hampton is like that? Well, then I says, she must be a witch. And if she is a witch, why is she scared of them at all? But Martha says, if you have second sight, you don't need to be a witch to see them in the daytime. Well, you never can tell about them ghosts. Some says one thing, and some says another. Old Miss Primrose in our town, she always believed in em firm till her husband died. When he was dying, they fixed it up he was to come back and visit her. She told him he had to, and he promised. And she left the front door open for him night after night for nigh a year, in all kinds of weather, but Primrose never come. Miss Primrose says he never lied to her. And he always done just as she told him, and if he could have come, she knowed he would. And when he didn't, she quit believing in ghosts. But they was others in our town said it didn't prove nothing at all. They said Primrose had really been lying to her all his life because she was so bossy he had to lie to keep peace in the family, and she never catched on. Well, if I was a ghost, and had a been Miss Primrose's husband when I was a human, I wouldn't have come back neither, even if she had a bully-ragged me into one of them deathbed promises. I guess Primrose figured he had earned to rest. If they is ghosts, what comfort can they get out of coming back where they ain't wanted and scaring folks is more than I can see. It's kind of low down, I think, and foolish, too. Them kind of ghosts is like these here overgrown smart alex that scares kids. They think they are mighty cute, but they ain't. They are just foolish. A human, or a ghost either, that does things like that is just simply got no principle to him. I hear a lot of talk about them, first and last, and I ain't ready to say they ain't no ghosts, nor yet ready to say there is any. To say there is any is to say something that is too plumb unlikely. And too many people have saw them for me to say they ain't any. But 
If they is, or they ain't, so far as I can see, it don't make much difference. For they never do nothing, besides scaring you, except to rap on tables and tell fortunes and such fool things, which a human can do it all better, and save the expense of paying money to one of these here spirit mediums that travels around and makes them perform. But all the same, there has been nights I has felt different about em myself, and less hasty to run em down. Well, it don't do no good to speak harsh or no one, not even a ghost or a ordinary dead man, and if I was to see a ghost, maybe I would be all the scareder for what I have just wrote. Well, with all the talking back and forth we done about them ghosts, we couldn't agree. That afternoon, it seemed like we couldn't agree about anything. I knowed we would be going away from there before long. And I says to myself, before I go, I'm going to have that girl from my girl, or else know the reason why. No matter what I was talking about, that idea was in the back of my head, and somehow it kind of made me want to pick fusses with her, too. We was setting on a log, purty deep into the woods, and there come a time when neither of us had said nothing for quite a spell. But after a while, I says, Martha, we'll be going away from here in two, three days now. She never said nothing. Will you be sorry? I asked her. She says she will be sorry. Well, I says, why will you be sorry? I thought she said, I thought she would say, because I was going, and then I would be finding out whether she liked me a lot. But she says the reason she will be sorry is because there will be no one new to talk to about things both as read. I was considerable took down when she said that. Martha, I says, it's more than likely I won't never see you again after I go away. She says that kind of parting comes between the best of friends. I seen I wasn't getting along very fast, nor saying what I wanted to say. I reckon one of them Sir Marmaluke fellows would have knowed what to say, or Dr. Kirby would, or maybe even Louie would have said it better than I could. So I was kind of mad with myself, and I says, mean-like, if you don't care, of course I don't care neither. She never answered that, so I gets up and makes like I'm starting off. I was going to give you some of them their injun feathers of mine to remember me by, I tells her. But if you don't want them, there's plenty of others would be glad to take them. But she says she would like to have them. Well, I says, I will bring them to you tomorrow afternoon. She says, thank you. Finally, I couldn't stand it no longer. I got brave all of a sudden and busted out, Martha, I, I... I, but I got to stuttering, and my braveness stuttered itself away. And I finishes up by saying, I like you a whole lot, Martha. Which wasn't just exactly what I had planned for her to say. Martha, she says she kind of likes me, too. Martha, I says, I like you more than any girl I ever run across before. She says, thank you, again. Well, the way she said it riled me up. She said it like she didn't know what I meant, nor what I was trying to get out of me, but she did know all the time. I knowed she did. She knowed I knowed it, too. 
Gosh darn it, I says to myself, here I am wasting all this time just talking to her. The right thing to do come to me all of a sudden and like to took my breath away. But I done it. I grabbed her and I kissed her. Twice. And then again. Because the first was on the chin on account of her jerking her head back. And the second one, she didn't help me none. But the third time, she helped me a little. And the ones after that, she helped me considerable. Well, they ain't no use trying to talk about the rest of that afternoon. I couldn't rightly describe it if I wanted to. And I reckon it's none of anybody's business. Well... It makes you feel kind of funny. Uh, you want to go out and pick on somebody about four sizes bigger than you are and knock the socks off of him. It stands to reason others has felt that away, but you don't believe it. You want to tell people about it one minute, and the next minute you have got chills and ague for fear someone will guess it. And you think the way you are, go the way you are about her is going to last for always. That evening, when I was cooking supper, I laughed every time I was spoke to. When Louie and I was hitching up to drive downtown to give the show, one of the horses stepped on his foot, and I laughed at that, and there was pretty nigh a fight. And I was handling some bottles and broke one and cut my hand on a piece of glass. I held it out for a minute, dumb-like, with the blood and medicine dripping off of it, and all of a sudden I busted out laughing again. The doctor asked us I'm crazy. And Louis says he has thought I was from the very first, and some night him and the doctor will be killed whilst asleep. One of the things we have every night in the show is an engine dance, and Louis and I sings what the doctor calls the sea wash war chant, whirling round and round each other and making licks at each other with our tommyhawks, and letting out sudden wild yips in the midst of that chant. That night, I like to have killed Louie with that tommyhawk I was feeling so good. If it had been a real one instead of painted up wood, I would have killed Louie the lick I give him. The worst part of it was that after the show, when we got back to camp and the horses was picking it out for the night, I had to tell Louie all about how I felt for an explanation of why I hit him, which it made Louie right low in his spirits, and he shakes his head and says, no good will come of it. Did you ever hear of Romeo and Joliet? He says. Maybe, I says. But what it was I hear and I can't remember. What about them? Well, he says, they carried on the same as you. And now where are they? Well, I says, where are they? In the tomb, says Louis, very sad. Like they was close to personal friends of his and he told me all about them and how young Cobalt had done for them. But from what I could make out, it all happened way back in the early days, and shucks, I didn't care a darn anyhow. I told him so. Well, he says, it's been the history of the world that it brings trouble. And he says, look at Damon and Pythias, and Othello and the Merchant of Venus. And he named about a hundred prominent couples like that out of Shakespeare's works. But it ends happy sometimes, I says. Not when it is true, love, it don't, says Louis. Look at Anthony and Cleopatra. Yes, I says, sarcastic like. I suppose they are in the tomb, too. They are, says Louis, awful solemn. 
Yes, I says, and so is Adam and Eve and Dan and Bersheba and all the rest of them old-timers, but I bet they had a good time while they lasted. Louis shakes his head solemn and sighs and goes to sleep very mournful, like he has to give me up for lost. But I can't sleep none myself, so pretty soon I gets up and puts on my shoes and sneaks through the woodlot and through the gap in the fence by the apple tree and into Miss Hampton's yard. It was a beauty of a moonlight night, that white and clear and clean, you could almost see to read by it, like all of everything had been scoured as bright as the bottom of a tin pan. And the shadows was soft and thick and velvety, and laid kind of brownish-greeny on the grass. I flopped down in the shadow of some lilac bushes, and wondered which was Martha's window. I knowed she'd be in bed long ago, but, well, I was just plumb foolish that night, and I couldn't have kept away for any money. That moonlight had got into my head, it seemed like, and made me drunk. But I would rather be loony that away than to have as much sense as King Solomon and all his adverbs. I was that loony that if I had knowed any poetry, I would have said it out loud right up toward that window. I never knowed why poetry was made up before that night. But the only poetry I could think of was about there was a man named Ferguson that lived on Market Street, and he had a one-eyed Thomas cat that couldn't well be beat which it didn't seem to fit the case, so I didn't say her. The porch of that house was part covered with vines, but they was kind of gaped apart at one corner. As I laid there in the shadow of the bushes, I heard a fluttering movement, light and gentle on that porch. Then, all of a sudden, I seen someone standing on the edge of the porch, where the vines was gaped apart and the moonlight was falling onto them. They must have come there awful soft and still. Whoever it was couldn't see into the shadow where I laid, that is, if it was a human and not a ghost. For my first thought was that it might be one of them ghosts I'd been running down so that very day, and maybe the same one Miss Hampton seen on that very same porch. I thought I was in for it then, maybe. And I felt like someone had whispered to the back of my neck, It ought to be scared. And I was scared clean up into my hair. I stared hard, for I couldn't take my eyes away. Then, pretty soon, I seen if it was a ghost, it must be a woman ghost. For it was dressed in light-colored clothes that moved just a little in the breeze. And the clothes was so near the color of the moonlight, they seemed a kind of silver in it. You would have said it had just floated there, and was waiting for it to float away again when the breeze blowed a little stronger, or the moon drawed it. It didn't move for ever so long. Then it leaned forward through the gap in the vines, and I seen the face real plain. It wasn't no ghost. It was a lady. And then I knowed it must be Miss Hampton standing there. Away off through the trees, our campfire sent up just a dull kind of a glow. And she was standing there looking at that. I wondered why.
This has been Danny's Own Story, Chapter 7, brought to you by the First Person Drunk Podcast, which in turn was brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by the public domain, and by the great God Whiskey.